0: And welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider. And today, I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's latest game against the Charlotte Hornets. Some of the top performers from that one. And I'm also going to be talking about the Thunder's injury situation and a potential hardship exception. I talked about it a couple episodes ago, but it's back on the menu. Dagnalt did talk about it in his pressers on Monday, so we'll talk about some of that and what it could mean heading into the closing portion of the season. And to round things out, guys, I'll be giving a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, kicking things off against the Charlotte Hornets. Back-to-back capper. Obviously, they fumbled on Sunday's game, but you get a clean slate here, you had a lot of good performances, Baisley had 29 points for a career high, SGA had returned from his slump he had on Thursday, and Lindy Waters also came back into the fold, so you had things to build off of, and you're going up against a Charlotte Hornets team that is armed fairly well with their roster, obviously, you get LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, even Montrezl Harrell off the bench and such. But this is a game that I think could be viewed as winnable. You have two really good young point guards in LaMelo Ball and Shea Gilgis-Alexander going off against each other. Yes, you don't have Lou Dort, you don't have Josh Kidd, you don't have a lot of players here. But I think matchup-wise, you're still fairly comparable. One thing that Dagnall noted in his pregame was that Olivier Saar was going to be starting over Isaiah Roby and this is one that confused some people initially you know you look at what Charlotte would bring in the mix they have Mason Plumlee as their starting center this is a flat-footed center he's not going to be you know chasing around six foot eight six foot nine guys at a very high level and he's not going to be that great guarding the perimeter so if you compare Roby and you compare Sar, Roby gives you a lot more options offensively and Mason Plumlee is not like an insane back-to-basket big. He doesn't make his money just simply off of like a hook shot, you know? And I don't think he'd be doing it against Isaiah Roby at an elite level. So I think I'm kind of in that camp too where it probably should start Roby, but they wanted to give Sar some extended time. They put him in the starting units, and you really didn't see any sort of hiccups with Oklahoma City. They walked out first quarter play, and they damn near could not miss now initially it did not start that way charlotte was the one with the hot hand this is where you start complaining about sar start complaining about a lot of things but they went seven of seven to open the game up went on their own mini run and then they were just completely walled off i think they missed their next eight shots or something okc went on an insane run to go up double digits in the first quarter and they ended up posting a season high 41 points In the first quarter, first time they've done that in the first this season, I did see somewhere that they might have dropped 41 against the Lakers, but I'm siding with the PR on this one, 41 for your season high in a frame, and they did it at a very high level, 61% from the floor, 6 of 12 from distance, and they hit all three of their free throws. On the flip side for Charlotte, after going 7 for 7, they just completely fell off the grid. Ended 3 of 15 on the frame. And he didn't have a lot of resources here. Terry Rozier had 8. Miles Bridges had 7. But nothing was really coming off the bench. Shots weren't falling. And that's going to lead to some success stories for Oklahoma City. And they were really running through three different players. SGA already had 11. Darius Baisley had 10 points. And Trey Mann even dabbled in there. He went 3 of 3 from downtown to collect 9. So in all, those three already overpower what Charlotte did that would have been 30 to 29 and then you get Poku in uh to close out the the quarter and I mean he actually did a pretty damn good job uh he had five points two of three one of one from distance and it's kind of just hectic on Charlotte's side now when I was kind of breaking down why I believe OKC was so dominant in this quarter a lot of it comes down to what Mason Plumley was doing in my eyes, specifically with Olivier Saar. And Saar has not earned respect from distance yet. Now, does he shoot them? Yeah. He was all right in the G League. He's been okay at the NBA level, but you're never going to write on the scouting report to step up on Olivier. And Mason Plumley wasn't really doing that, but also he wasn't heavily committing to the paint. And on one end, it makes sense why you do that. You don't want to uh, just give easy looks off of like a runner or floater to an SGA if you're just entirely dropping down but the man wasn't hard hedging he was kind of just sifting around there and whenever there wasn't a screen Olivier always had like five or seven roo- uh seven feet of room to operate in the mid-range and that's not going to be a really good sign for you and not all these shots really generated off of SAR. I think that's a little bit ridiculous you know Baisley was going it crazy off of cutting from I think the right corner SGA was slashing inside off his normal penetrations and Trey was doing his own thing but I think it is worth noting that you know the screen defense was really atrocious for Plumlee and even though Sar wasn't stuffing the scoreboard it was interesting to see how that unfolded and I'm curious how many points OKC would have actually gotten had they played Roby because if Roby was out there you would have seen a lot more top of the key triples potentially some dribble drives from him Uh, And you didn't see it with Saar. He just kind of stood around, but it worked out really well. And going into the second quarter, it really looks like OKC had all of the momentum. Now, you jump into quarter number two, and they continue to build upon their lead. OKC was able to get the lead up to 18 points a few minutes into the second quarter. You saw Poku and Vic Kredge in particular just start going off. They had a good tandem there. Uh, But then, slowly but surely, you saw the Charlotte Hornets chip away at the lead. And the shots that OKC was just unconsciously hitting in the first quarter just weren't falling anymore. They were struggling mightily from the three-point line. And, you know, they they walk out there. I think it was like the 10-minute mark. 47 to 29 get a couple more shots in and you're really putting this one to rest but they couldn't really tie things up and then you started to see Charlotte get on their own mini runs here surprisingly through Isaiah Thomas they put him in to open out the second quarter he was just hitting three-pointer after three-pointer he went four of four in the frame for 12 points he led the Hornets in the quarter and they were able to pioneer a 19 point swing to conclude the first half. So OKC ended up dropping, I believe it was 17 more points after their initial burst. And Charlotte just continued to load up on buckets. 36 to 17 was the concluding run for Charlotte. And they were able to take the lead just seconds away from the halftime horn. They were up 65 to 64 when it really looked insurmountable 10 minutes ago. And, you know, it's one of those things with OKC where. They're either up a lot of points, they're down a lot of points. They always have these major swings related to their games, and they can't really stay afloat. This was another situation where that happens, and it ended up hurting them a lot. You didn't see a lot of bench production outside of Alexei Pokushevsky in the first half. Now, granted, you're running a nine-man rotation. They didn't have favors. Aaron Wiggins was back on the report. Williams is there, and much more are going to be included but you only had Poku, he had 10, and Kredgey added three of his own. Really, you were just running out through your starters, and Bays, Baze, Baze was actually really damn good. He had 17 points, that is the most he's had in a half before. You check uh, yesterday's game, or I guess it would have been Sunday's. He dropped 16 points in the half, but topped it by one in this one, and then SGA, he had 16 points. So, you kind of had the same three, four guys on the list here. Tao wasn't shooting too well. And then for the Hornets, they also were running out about three guys that were starring. Terry Rozier had 16. Miles Bridges had 12 points. And then Isaiah Thomas had 12. Lamelo was actually clamped down, which I thought would have continued to keep their lead afloat. He was a uh, two of eight for five points, but yeah, IT just lit it up. Cody Martin was feeling it to end the quarter, and yeah, they just did a really, really nice job closing out. Specifically, they were just hitting their freaking threes, man. They went 11 of 19 in the half. OKC could not continue the set, uh, success they had in the first quarter. They ended up going just three of 11 on triples in the second, and that kind of gets you up to date going into the second half. And once the second half kicked off, Charlotte continued to build. They stacked their lead up to 10 midway into the third quarter, brought it up to 15. At moments, they were nearing a 20-point lead, and they ended up ahead 102-91 to going into the fourth quarter. Now, there were some really good moments uh, offensively for OKC in this one. They did get outscored 37 to 27 in that quarter. You have to note that. But SGA erupted. He had 14 of the team's 27 points. Now, obviously, that's not great. You want to have a a good point distribution. But him running a one-man show on insane efficiency is a really good indicator for him. But Poku, he was able to down another triple. And how about Vic Kredge, man? He ended up hitting two threes in the quarter. Him and Poku had a really good stretch in the third that I'll talk about in a little bit, but that's really what you were looking at. Baisley, he didn't have a single point in the third quarter, and Trey Mann wasn't doing insane either. LaMelo Ball was, though. He ended up having 14 points in the third quarter. Lots of these were coming off of catch-and-shoots. And that's all he really needed. Just reaping the rewards of the three. They were shooting 60% going into quarter number four. And once quarter number four teed off, there was no looking back. OKC could not whittle that margin whatsoever. And Charlotte ended up taking this game 134 to 116. Really just saw the legion of bench guys close out for both sides. But. Yeah, Charlotte was able to keep it in distance or out of distance, I guess, and they got to showcase some of their G League guys. JT Thor got to play. I was really high on him in the draft process, and yeah, it was nice seeing him for all of about two minutes in the game, but with that, Charlotte continues their hopes for a play-in spot for OKC. They're still stuck fourth in reverse standings. This was still a very good game. Had them on the edge of their seats for the first 12 minutes, just could not get it done, In the other 36. I'll break down the numbers and some of the highlights from this game in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have for you guys. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all month long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three pointers, then track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But guys, moving along into the final stats here. OKC, like I said, could not get it done. 18 point win in the Charlotte Hornets direction. And the three point shot could not miss for them. 20 of 35 from beyond the arc it was a shoot around session for them that's 57.1 percent from the floor they shot at a higher clip from three than they did on twos this game and for okc they shot well two i mean they shot 16 of 44 36 percent don't get me wrong that's a good game for the thunder but you could not really compete with what charlotte had to offer from downtown in particular terry Rozier was cooking it up 30 points for him 11 of 17 in all four of eight from distance Lamelo ball added much the same five of eight from three six of 13 he had 21 points and seven assists and miles bridges went off 27 points on 11 of 15 shooting he shot five of six on threes And added 6 more assists in just 30 minutes of play. So you had the 3-headed monster there with Rozier, Ball, and Bridges. And then you had some other bench contributors. Thomas had 12. Cody Martin finished with 11. Kelly Oubre also added 11. So everyone was kind of really getting in on things here. They finished the game with 33 assists. And for OKC, they also played at a really high level, at least on the passing side. They finished with 31 assists. When you come down to the point breakdown, not as many were on that double-digit board. However, SGA continued to just beast. Nine out of, or excuse me, eight out of ten games, he dropped 30 or more since the All-Star break. Really, it could be nine out of ten if you just round the 29 to 30. Um, and he, you know, he's still averaging over 30 right now. Finished the game with 32 points on 12 of 20 shooting. 3 of 7 from downtown, 5 of 5 from the line, 8 rebounds and 5 assists to go along with it. And for me, this is one of the more impressive games I saw from SGA in this 30-point kind of mixture, right? Because a lot of the times, you'll see SGA go maybe like 10 of 18, 10 of 19. That's really good. Uh, But he's like 0 of 5 on threes, and he has to get like, 10 free throws to make it work. In this game, never a doubt he was going for 30 points, but he didn't have to go to the free throw line. And for me, my talk is always checking three boxes with SGA. Is he able to get inside? Normally that's a yes. Is he getting to the foul line? Normally that's a yes. And the three point line is the one where you'll probably see it every one out of three, one out of four games. Finding them all in one game is really special. And in this one, I'd say he did that. Down three triples on the game, five of five from the line. He didn't have the volume necessarily, but he definitely had the accuracy. And in the paint, he was still causing nightmares for Charlotte. We know when he gets to the line, he's going to go crazy. My thing is, is he going to be able to keep his defenders on his feet from downtown off these step backs? The answer was yes in this game. He had, I believe, two step back triples, and that really propped him up when it came to slashing to the basket. Same goes for Darius Baisley as well. He had a three-level scoring game, 25 points right after scoring 29, so that's actually the second time in his career he's had back-to-back 25-plus point games. The other happened last March, I believe it was, but finished with 25 on 10 of 18, 4 of 9 from downtown, and he went 1 of 2 at the stripe, so for him, this was one of his more complete games, and... He's been really just condensing his role. That's what he expressed in uh, interviews, kind of saying he simplified his game a little bit. And He's kind of stood out as like a corner sitter for OKC. He used to be playing a lot at these wings, and when he'd get the ball at the wing, he'd have so much room uh, off of threes, and he'd take them. Normally, wasn't hitting them at a high rate, and when he decided to drive inside, well... You know, the man's already given you five feet of distance from the three. He's going to be able to close that corner out. You're not going to get the right angle off of the slash when he's been played at the corner. He has been amazing thus far because you see a lot of action at the top of the key where, you know, you might need some help from the side Kelly Oubre, for example, steps up one or two steps. SGA slash into the basket. And then you see Basley beeline to the basket. He was getting hit up multiple times off of those backdoor cuts. He was reaping the rewards. And then, whenever they were sagging off from three, he was still hitting them from the corner. This is where we want to see Darius Basley. The potential has been there. I would say that for a lot of people, kind of got tired of the inconsistent performances. Especially to open the year, he wasn't good. People wanted Aaron Wiggins to be the starter. He's been able to prop himself back up. And after the All-Star break, he's been a different player. He's been consistent, really night in and night out. And where he's dropping 20, you know, this could be a new part of the repertoire, of course, but I'll say prior to this, these like last two months, when he dropped a 20 point game, the the instinctual response was like, that's a great game for Baisley, but he's not going to be able to sustain that. Now, he's at a point where he could genuinely sustain that to close out the season and he'll have a really good time moving on into next year. He's been dropping double figures, doing it at a high efficiency, and he's been doing things that, you know, we got accustomed to, but it hasn't been steady enough. Now it's gotten steady and now he's been a main contributor with Giddy and Lou Dort out of the fold. Same goes with Alexei Pokushevsky. Very inconsistent. If you're talking the most inconsistent player on the team, and maybe in the NBA, it very well could be Alexei Pokushevsky. And, and there were still some up and down moments for him this game. He finished with 17 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists, though, on 6 of 11 shooting, 2 of 5 from downtown. Did have some hiccups. He airballed two three-pointers and had six turnovers on the game. But his presence on the offensive end was very evident, best player in that second unit for Mark Dagnall in this one. And he was able to pioneer offense not just for himself, but also for his teammates. In particular, Vit Credci, Career high of 12 points for him. He had three rebounds to go along with it, in addition to two assists. This was a game where Credci just kind of took what was given. They weren't stepping up on catch and shoots, Poku was putting in the right spot, and he was just popping it off. 4 of 6 from downtown, didn't see him cut inside really at all this game, but he still looked very good. In my opinion, this was probably the best game we've seen in Krejci's career to this point, because, you know, we saw him drop 10 points, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, Not very good from three. I think he went 0 of 6. It just happened to be he was really strong on backdoor cuts. This time, he wasn't really playing garbage time. A lot of the the points actually came in in the second and third quarter, and he was still driving inside and making extremely good kickouts. I will say one thing with Krejci. His passing vision is off the charts. He still has some clumsy decisions in there, but he's a lot more kind of headstrong than some of these other guys you'll see uh, that our distributors on the roster. And in the fast break, if there's a three-on-two situation, he's going to make the right read majority of the time. When he sees a trailer, he's going to find them. Just making the correct reads like that, and he definitely did that in the game. Vit and Poku had something here. There was a stint in the third where three consecutive possessions, OKC, came out with a basket, and in all three of them, one of Poku or Vit hit the bucket, and the man assisting was Poku or Vit. So they had a bond for about a minute there. Then it kinda got derailed and they didn't really click yet again. But in that time they were really on the same page, and I think they were both on the same page the entire way. Vin only played fifteen minutes, got twelve points out of it. Defensively, he still has some struggles here. Dagnalt kinda harped about that in the post game where That's where they need to really fix him. Defensively, he just has to have those fundamentals down because he's been out of position a lot of times this year. One of the reasons why there were a lot of open threes in the game. Uh, But, you know, if you're able to kind of get him rounded out there, offensively, he's a really solid project piece. Good shot to him. I didn't expect it to be this good when he came out of Zaragoza. As a slasher, he's not as athletic as pre-ACL injury. But he still has had some value there. And then passing-wise, he's also unique. So you could get another pretty good role player out of that if you play your cards right. And the same goes for Lindy Waters. He didn't have a very good game here. Went 2 of 8 from the floor and 0 of 6 from downtown. But you've seen those 16-point outputs. Maybe he's able to get back on uh, the right track of things in tonight's game. Trey Mann at 13, six assists to go along with it. Teo struggled, two of nine shooting. Olivier went two of five. And Isaiah Roby didn't even take a shot. Second time since last season, he's went scoreless. He went scoreless in all three of his rookie games with OKC after he got traded from the Mavs. But I don't really want to count those. Since he's gotten significant minutes, only the second time he hasn't grazed the scorecard. So they'll move on into tonight's game. Hoping to collect the W here. Now, obviously, they are rebuilding, so maybe they are looking to uh, take a loss. I saw the Indiana Pacers yesterday on their Twitter post the box score uh, like a little graphic. Memphis Grizzlies had 135 points, and the Pacers, they had their score blocked out by the basketball. They got blown out by 33 points, and... I think the social team is on the same page. They're looking to go to the bottom. and They want to get a top prospect. I'm sure OKC does as well. A lot of these teams at the bottom have been working towards that selection really all season long. OKC has their matchup against San Antonio, though. They're 26-43, and 43, so they're not that great as of now. Gatajante They don't have any significant injuries right now. So maybe they're looking to extend Greg Popovich's career win total. And for Thunder fans, probably would not be all that bad anyways. Now, one thing I want to touch up on though, guys, is the roster and really the rotation that we have seen. OKC has been really just watered down, right? Like they haven't had Giddy, they haven't had Dort, haven't had a lot of guys in the mix here, and because of it, the nine man rotation just has become the standard after the all star break. And you would think, off of that, they might want to give more options to players. So far, they've definitely done that. Guys like Isaiah Roby, Teo Maladon, Lindy Waters, and Olivier Saar come to mind as guys who prior to the break didn't get much run, now they're getting an opportunity to prove themselves and really. Uh, pitch a case as to why they should remain on the team and for a guy like vid credci as well he's finally able to spread his wings because there have been so many outages however with this you still could use more players on the team okc has made it no secret whatsoever they really like roster evaluation had 34 different members on the team over these last two seasons. A lot of them have come off of 10-day deals, and some of them have come off of two-way contracts, and even and even handing out contract upgrades based on some pretty good play. So they're always looking to tap in and find good role players for the future, and they want to find young guys. There are some players on the market, but based on what Mark Dagnall said yesterday, sounds like they might be pretty content with where they are. And this comes from the pregame. I asked really along the lines to Mark, you know, about these injuries and it it might've been a Sam Presti question or a front office question, but have you guys looked into obtaining a hardship exception? And here was his response to me. Uh, That is exactly what it is. It is a Sam Presti question. Um, Yes. We look at everything all the time. You know, if, if there's, a quote that I can create to describe Sam Presti in one sentence. It's, We look at everything all the time, you know, so there's nothing, there's no rock that we don't turn over in anything. Um, that's a strength of ours and a strength of his. Um, and there's, you know, implications with that. Um, you know, if we felt like we needed that, we would do it. Um, we certainly have looked into it. We look into everything all the time. Um, but we've got, you know, we're, we're, we're fine right now, you know, like we got what we need. Um, this is a great opportunity for these particular players. Um, We wouldn't rule that out if we felt it necessary, but right now I don't think he does. I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think he does. As you guys heard there, Mark Dagnall kind of stated that as of right now, they seem pretty content with the roster. Now he's speaking for Presti. uh, So obviously you got to look at that as well. But, He said, right now, I don't think he does. I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think he does in regards to picking up that hardship exception. He did note that they have looked into it, though, and this is something that is expected to be looked into. You know, when Dagnalt, when the Thunder have had to deal with these really condensed rotations, and other teams, such as the Orlando Magic, have had actually less guys on their injury report but got hardship exceptions last season. And for me, I understand where they would be coming from here. If they are looking to really find gyms to have long-term, you might want to keep the options small to give more extensive looks. That's why we've seen guys such as Lindy Waters play above 20 minutes. You've seen Vic Crutchy play above 20 minutes, and Isaiah Roby has been damn near starting Uh, Since we saw everybody kind of come off the board here, it really kind of lets you know that they are in that stage right now where they are making those tight decisions. Maybe they have 16 or 17 guys they might be circling down uh, as potential players for next season, but they can't keep all those guys. Have to look at their draft choices. They probably are going to take three or four guys unless they consolidate. And everyone on the roster right now, are not going to be here next season. Even if they have potential, there will be some tough calls made. So adding another guy to the puzzle could cause some issues and it could cause you to miss some serious reps or a serious performance that could tilt the scales on maybe what you'd evaluate them uh, in the future. And for me personally, I really like the idea of hardship exceptions, I like the deal of 10-day contracts, you give someone an opportunity to, you know, have their dreams realized, and also, you give them a platform to really succeed uh, here, and for the Thunder, I mean, they have a lot of young players now, and they're kind of in the stage where, if you do ball out on a 10-day contract, you could seriously get additional looks. Olivier Saar did that. He had a really solid game with the Kings on a 10-day deal. Then he got into a two-way. With Lindy Waters, G League guy, now he's on a two-way contract. There's a lot of talent to offer in the G League, but really just in-house with the OKC Blue, and it wouldn't take that much effort to call one up and give him a look. I get it. They probably don't want to uh, kind of clog up minutes or make anything more difficult right now. And that's understandable. But man, there are some very good players out there. I was down on Monday to see the Blue game and the Thunder game in person. And the Blue, they squared off against the Salt Lake City Stars. With this team, they have Carson Edwards. And they don't have that much else. They have very good offensive abilities. Defensively, they're very handicapped. Their centers are all flat-footed. Basically, if you're driving inside, you're going to get a foul or you're going to get a basket. And for Jamias Ramsey, he was just cooking up. He finished the game with 31 points, really couldn't miss off of drives, had a couple hard gathers where he got to the rack, and a couple of n ones as well. Might have even went 50% from three, but yeah, no one could really face him on that side. As for Xavier Simpson, he has been the star of the show for the Blue the last week or two. He had 29 points on the game, damn near racked up a triple-double, and Jalen Horde even had 20-point performance for himself there so all three of those guys are very capable of earning a 10-day contract I think for someone like Simpson he's really uh been in line for one for a while now would you keep him past this I don't think so so uh, it makes sense why you wouldn't probably give one to him same might go for Jalen Horde but for Jamias Ramsey this is a former number 40 overall pick has a lot of potential on ball there are a lot of guys like that already on your team you have SGA you have Trey Mann out there, but I mean maybe you want to dip into the pot a little bit more and explore. If another player goes down in the guard unit, I would be all for it. Maybe they could go for a center though, like a check Diallo, or hell, get Melvin Fraser Jr. back, even even though they just traded him about three weeks ago. So there are options. I mean, if I was in the front desk, I would be about additional looks for players. But you know, with the upcoming season you probably want to look into the 2022-23 season uh, as opposed to right now and what you believe the team will look like I think they've gotten their group of guys this is the group they're going to roll out with and you know unless another injury happens I feel like they'll probably say set and stone play 9 10 guys 20 minutes of pop and then go into a training camp where there might be some pretty hard decisions but That's going to do it for me on the hardship talk. If you guys have a different take on the hardship exception, let me know. If you guys have a personal player you would like to get that contract, also make sure to clue me in on that. You guys can hit me up on my personal Twitter at Ben Kreider or hit up the pod's Twitter at ThunderstickPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.